Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. If um, you're visiting today, my name is Mark and I'm one of the ministers here. And we are very grateful that you've joined us to worship Jesus with us. And we encourage you to participate uh, however you feel comfortable and join us because this is about Jesus. It's really not about us. And as you give your sacrifices, as Jay just said so very, very well, uh, what we do is make ourselves poorer so others might be richer in the most important things. I need to thank you uh, for several things. When you drove into our parking lot today, depending on which direction you came in, if you came in uh, on the east side of the building, you noticed a big mess out there in the corner. And I want to thank you for that mess. Uh, Your extra giving this past year for our return challenge has allowed us to begin our new student center out there. And buildings are buildings are buildings. And when we're all dead and gone, those buildings may or may not be here. But what's going to take place in those buildings are going to change people's histories. It's going to teach young people and their parents and the teachers so much about the Word of God. And you allow us to, your giving, well, your sacrifices right now allow that to happen. I want to thank you for your giving because it's allowed us to be partners with Hope City Church uh, in South Joplin, which is uh, doing incredibly well. Over 400 people a week they're averaging down there. It's an amazing work. Uh, In fact, I talk to Cody each and every week, and a large percentage of that church were people who were not going to church six months ago. So our prayer and our vision, God is responding uh, with his favor, and we're grateful for that. You've made that happen. Whether you've gone down to Hope City for one moment or not, your contributions to this congregation allows us to plant, put a team down there, and invest in that part of our community. And I also just want to thank you because your giving today allows us to partner with quality people like Jay and Caitlin, uh, who left this beautiful region of Missouri to go live in one of the most populated areas of the world to preach the gospel. And uh, his brother Ethan and wife Audrey uh, just went last spring, and uh, they're now a part of that. What you do here takes care of this ministry, but it also allows us to do some amazing things all over. So I want to say thank you for that. And the sacrifices that you're making are making a difference. In this series called Building on Hope, uh, we have learned several things from from Peter. And I encourage you uh, to, if you haven't been a part of this series, to take some time. You can go to the website or on a podcast. You can download the messages if you're interested in that. But we really want to encourage you to stay connected to this series because it's going to be instrumental in where we go in the fall. And what series follow this are very important that we're not only building on hope just for the summer, we're building on hope as a church. And what we've learned about ourselves is who we are in Christ. We are a people of hope based on the resurrection of Jesus, that that changed so many things for the world and it changed so many things for each of us, that we are a priesthood of all believers, which means we are here to bring the grace of Christ to people's lives, to offer them the same hope that saved us, and that we are called to be holy, to be set apart, to not be just a part of everything, but to be unique and distinct for a greater purpose. Uh, We've been talking about the opportunities we have in front of us as aliens and strangers in this world, to live differently. And as Jay just shared in the communion thought, a young man who gives his life to Jesus is set apart by Christ, but it costs him things, costs him his own family, which Jesus warned us is one of the potentials if we're serious about who he is. And then we're called how to live this out, which is where we've been for the past few weeks. Uh, All great passages of scripture begin with a theology, a reality based on who God is, And then gives us all something to do. And Peter's doing the same thing with us. Last week we even talked about when we face difficult times and we're called to be a people of unity, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility. When we're called to live that out, 
that not everyone's going to like us, even though what we're offering them is the most beautiful parts of our humanity. Some people are going to stand up against bright lights in their eyes, and they're going to want to go back to the darkness. So today we continue on in chapter 3, but there's a true story of a wife who was uh, leaving one morning. She had to run some errands. Her husband had got up and was just poured himself a cup of coffee and was sitting at the table, and she said, hey, would you check the lottery numbers? And she gave him a piece of paper with some numbers written down on him. And he got out his computer and checked online and he saw the winning numbers from the night before. And he couldn't believe it. The numbers matched. And then he got excited because he had trouble letting himself believe that they had just won $2.5 million. And while his wife was away, he began to strategize. Well, if the government takes about 40% of that, that leaves me 60%. And after all of that, what would we do with that amount of money and where would we spend it? And he began to pay off bills and pay off the house and get the college funds all up to snuff and have everything ready. And he even had some left and he was getting really happy about that. When his wife came in and he said to her, he said he tried to remain calm uh, the entire time she was gone. How would he explain this to her and strategize this? So when she came in, he said, honey... We matched all six numbers. And before we begin to spend it, and she stopped him. And she said, oh, those weren't our numbers. I wrote them down off the radio and wanted to make sure I had them right. <laughs> now, the best part of that story is I heard the guy telling me it at a restaurant here in town. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Which is worse, wasting money on the lottery or letting yourself believe you want it? Both of them are pretty hard. You see, have you ever been there? When we talk about hope, if you're just joining us, if we talk about hope, we say that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is confident expectation. It's consistent throughout the New Testament. It's not that if this should come about, but no, I'm betting my life that it will. Have you ever been there? Have you ever let yourself hope beyond your comfort and risk the possible failure if it doesn't come true? Most of us protect our entire lives from this. We want to be certain. We want to have all of our ducks in a row. You use any cliche you want. Most of us prepare our lives never to risk on hope. So let me try to take you back to moments of your life when maybe you were a little more risky. Did you ever have a moment where you wanted to ask a special person out or be asked out by a special person and it wasn't junior high so you couldn't run to their best friend to find out if they would? Have you ever had to take the risk of being rejected, where you waited out, that if I asked this person to go out or if they asked me to go out, what if they did and what if they didn't? What if, what if I asked her and she said yes, that would be awesome, rewards? What if I asked her and she said no, humiliation? And Is it better to never risk than to fail? Have you been there? Have you ever wanted to seek a promotion at work, but you don't know if your boss believes in you enough to give you that? And so you have to weigh, do I say I would like to promotion and risk not getting it? Or do I say I'd like to promotion and have my boss say, oh, not you? Or have the boss say, oh, really, you don't like your job? Well, I need to find two jobs now. Reward, risk. Or let's just make it even more simple. Have you ever bid for something on eBay? I was going to get Braden this $300 baseball bat, and I had the final bid going into the final minute and I had it for $39. And I didn't care if he ever got a base hit. I was going to parade that bat around. It's the greatest deal ever. Like there's a $300 bat to start with. And I remember getting down to the final 30 seconds. I got down to the five, final 12 seconds. And I let myself believe that they were going to ship me that $300 bat for 40 bucks. When two creeps jumped in ahead of me with one second to go and outbid me. 
And I was more mad at myself that I let myself believe that bat was mine before it was. Have you ever been there? That's why we struggle with hope. Because if it doesn't pan out, we're fools. So we tend not to risk hoping. Because it's wishful thinking instead of confident expectation. Verses 13 through 16 of 1 Peter 3. Let's look at it together. Peter says, having told them that life will be hard when you stand up for the truth. He says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? That's a rhetorical question. Right? A rhetorical question doesn't need an answer. It's obvious. He said, does anybody ever get beat up for doing nice things for other people? Certainly not. Verse 14. But even if you should, Peter ventures in that some Christians by doing the right things get persecuted. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's a challenge here. Is our hope real enough to risk it? Is our hope in Jesus real enough to change things around us? Peter recognizes that it gets hard for some people when they do what Jesus asked them to do. Jesus told us that. Look at John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This isn't optional. Standing up for what is right, uh, as I've said before, if if you're trying to stay on track with Jesus, the world's going to try to knock you off track. The world is going to try to divert you because when you follow Jesus well, it makes those who don't feel bad about themselves. And the worst crime you can commit in our world today is to tell someone else they're not doing what they should do. That'll get you in more trouble than anything. But Peter tells us how to live out this life of hope. And he's going to tell us what hope looks like. But if he's going to tell us who God is and who we are in God, then he's going to tell us how we live differently. And my challenge to this church, in this community, when we wake up tomorrow and go into the world as lights, that there's a certain thing we need to remember about our hope. But it all begins with his challenge. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means to acknowledge him. It means to make a choice about him. It's not just to to say there was a Jesus and he was pretty special, but it's to ponder how special he was and allow the truth of that to become more significant than a Sunday morning message. But before we begin to feel bad, let me tell you that you're capable of this. I believe that every single one of us grew up with some form of hero. Somebody we looked up to. It may have been a a sports star. It may have been a movie star. It could have been a musician. It could have been a teacher or a coach. Somebody that we looked up to and we said, maybe it was a a senior when you were a junior high kid and you thought, I want to be like that person. We all know how to set apart somebody. In fact, uh, Isaac pointed it out. I didn't realize this until this morning, but he pointed it out between services. That word set apart is, is actually that concept is holiness. It's the same thing. To be useful for something greater than you normally are. When I was growing up, my hero, from the time I was about seven or eight years old, was the first baseman of the Los Angeles Dodgers named Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey was a very, very good first baseman. He was only about five foot ten. He had massive Popeye forearms. 
He's some of the strongest looking guys I've ever met. I fashioned my swing after him. I, I went all through junior high and high school swinging the exact, I had my feet set like him. I stood like him. I held my bat like him. I did everything Steve Garvey could. He was a believer in Jesus. That was a plus. He was an all-star. That was great. He was on the Dodgers. I could overlook that. <laughs> but I, I wanted to be Steve Garvey. I knew how to set apart someone in my heart a long time ago. No one had to teach me how to do it. Every one of us does it. Unfortunately, as we grow older, we become more cynical and we set less humans up because we've learned that they're human. And then as I grew up, I learned what kind of man Steve Garvey was outside of the baseball field and I stopped setting him apart. Not that he was, he was just a man. He had clay feet and the sun melted him pretty quick. But I know how to set someone up in my heart. How do we do that with Jesus? Look at Hebrews 12 too. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when I tell you that in your heart you can set Jesus up outside of a mere thought, that you can think about who he is, that you can research what he's done, that you can look at the evidence displaying who he is, and listen to the author of Hebrews. He says, not only was he an amazing man, but he now sits at the right hand of God, that you can set him above any idea, claim, or question this world has to ask you. And if I may be so presumptuous to say this, one of the problems with churches involving people like you and me is we don't spend much time thinking about Jesus. We only talk about him. When there is evidence to justify, he should be set above every idea, every goal, everything. He's Lord of the universe. So I'm not asking you to think of him for more than he is, like I did with my hero. I'm asking you to only think of him as he is, and that'll be enough. Samuel Wilberforce said that lordship can be defined in four words, and I like these words. And we're going to leave them up on the screen here. Admit, submit, commit, and transmit. Simple way to remember it. Admit that he's Lord. Admit that he is the resurrected Jesus, that not only did he die for our sins, but he's going to set everything back in order as it was in the Garden of Eden exactly the way God wants it. Admit that. Because whether you admit it or not, it's going to happen. So begin by believing what the scriptures have proven him to be. Submit yourself to his wishes. Make him Lord, not just Savior. Commit yourself to sharing his teachings with those who don't know it, and then transmit his love and his sacrifice to others. Simple preacher way to remember it, but I think it's absolutely true. Peter is calling us to commit and transmit the love of God even in the worst days of our lives, even under our worst duress. And then he tells us in verse 14, do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Has, have you ever been really scared and someone told you not to be? Does that ever work? Have you ever done that with a child? Oh, you shouldn't be scared. That doesn't change the reality that they're understanding in that moment. But, so Peter doesn't say, it's stupid to have fear. He says, don't let yourself fall to fear. Don't let fear steal your hope. If Jesus Christ overcame the grave, what are you so scared of that he can't overcome? So don't be frightened by the things of the world, but choose to set your heart on him. When you can't, he can. When you won't, he will. He's amazing. And if we would spend time pondering him, 
Not just coming and singing and thinking and going away going, wow, Mark saw something I didn't see. That was interesting. It's not about being interesting. It's about being influential. It's about investing in this truth if it's true and living in hope. Haddon Robinson says, hope is the music of the future and faith is the courage to dance to it now. Hope, I love that, is the music of the future and faith is the courage to dance to it right now as if it were true. Look at verse 15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me simplify these grandiose concepts of considering Jesus. Most of us think I'm busy, I don't know even where to start. We're going to talk about how to get there in a moment. But you have to make the choice, will you? So the question I want to ask you is, when you wake up in the morning, If you put your feet on the ground and you said to yourself, today the ultimate purpose of my life is to set apart the name of Jesus above everything else, would that change your day? If you woke up and said, the purpose for my life today, at my work, at school, with my friends, in my leisure, that my purpose in life is to set the name of Jesus Christ and who he is apart from everything else, would that change the way you walked, the way you worked? the way you relaxed, the way you rested. Timothy Keller asked the question, he says, if setting apart Jesus above all other feelings, options, and reward, does that feel like a weight or does it feel like wings? So let me repose the question now that I have your attention. If you woke up from your nap today or you woke up tomorrow morning and God said to you in in your bedroom, in your grogginess, If God said to you, your purpose today at school is to make sure that Jesus Christ is adored and honored the way he deserves, does that make you feel like, ugh? Or does it make you feel like, game on? Because if it's a weight or it's wings, if you wake up thinking, I've got to make Jesus important today, don't. (laughs) Don't. But if you wake up saying, Jesus is important and I want people to know it, Those are called wings. And this is what Peter wants us to understand. You see, Christianity does not call us to work for God. Christianity calls us to let God work through us. And for many of us, the weight of the world is on our shoulders because we think that Jesus left so we could get busy. No, Jesus left so we could become him. And the weight is not on you. The weight's on him. He even said, my burden's not heavy. I just want you to live as if I'm important, that I matter, that there's a significance to my life in your life, that I'm working through you. I was reading quite a bit these past few weeks over this text and several others to come in the next few weeks, and I began to write down some things. It just came to my mind to do it this way. I keep telling you to have hope in Jesus, and I've often said from this stage that sometimes the best way to define something is to define it by what it is not rather than what it is. So let me try to wake up all of us by saying when we put our feet on the floor, is our responsibility and our heart's desire to raise Jesus up so everyone knows his love and mercy? Or is that too much of a burden to be asked of? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that ought to give us wings to fly. If he's not, it ought to depress the fire out of us. Then I began to think, what if there is no hope in Jesus? What if the skeptics are true? What if, it, what if he's not real? 
What if all that evidence I have in front of me, I just walk away from it, even though there's so much? Here's what I discovered. If there's no hope in Jesus, I have to forgive my own sins. I have to find my own meaning in life. I have to carry my own burdens. I have to protect my own life. I have to overcome my own fears. I have to secure my own future. And I have to find comfort in my own death. I'm a dead man, if that's true. Because I can't do any of those things. My hope is in Jesus because he's the only one who can do any of those. And he told me he would. So my hope is not in Jesus because I'm a preacher. My hope is not in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. My hope is in Jesus because he's the only answer to the greatest questions all of us ask. He's the only one. Money's not going to do it. Sex isn't going to do it. Relationships, power, fame, none of that's going to accomplish what Jesus can. He is our only hope. And we are crushed without him. That's why Peter says, we'll live differently because what can come after us if he's for us? So let me tell you about the four kinds of hope that Peter calls us to in this text. The first is fearless hope. A fearless hope. It's found in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we stand up for what's right, it may cost us our life, but it cannot harm our soul. The psalmist talks about our confidence in God, that it, because God is our hope, the world cannot, it can knock us down, but it can't keep us down. It, it can take our life, this temporary life, but it can only substantiate our future life. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Notice that the psalmist is talking about people. What people can stop us when God is for us? Verse 3, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. So if he is who he says he is, we have no fear. Our hope is in confidence of who he is. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And what Paul has written previous in those eight, that 18th verse, the previous verses are about who Jesus is. So when you hear me say, our hope is in Jesus, that sounds so churchy. But I'm not talking about the theoretical Jesus of the flannel graph boards we all grew up looking at, or veggie tales. I'm talking about the Jesus that we will stop and pour our minds and hearts into and set him up as the hero of all heroes, the example to live our lives toward. It's not only a fearless hope, but it's a reasonable hope. And I'd like to camp on this a little longer than some of the others. A reasonable hope. The world makes fun of us for the hope that we have because it's not really hope. It's wishful thinking. When there's a reasonable hope to be had. Look at verse 16. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And this freaks some of us out. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, I just, I, I'm just new at this. I, I, lo I lose my temper too much and I get frustrated and I just I don't want to talk about Jesus because I'm scared I'm going to look stupid. Let me say this clearly. You don't have to have a PhD to defend the reason you have hope. 
You don't have to know systematic theology or the great names of theology. You don't have to know much. The question is, why do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? That's a reasonable request. And the reason the world makes fun of us is many of us give answers that don't make sense. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You see, there's this word when it says to give a defense. It's the word apologia, where we get the word apology. Now, I'm going to clarify this for the husbands in the room so we can maybe win one argument a year. When your wives tell you to apologize, they don't want you to apologize. They want you to say, I'm sorry. Ladies, an apology is not, I'm sorry. An apology is the reason we did what we did. Now, sometimes you may say, what were you thinking? And most men, if they're honest, 60% of the time will say, I wasn't. (laughs) And that's the truth. But 40% of the time, we had a reason why we did something, even if it was stupid. That's an apology. Notice that Peter says that you are to be ready to give the apology, the reason behind why you, as an individual, separate of all other individuals, believes that Jesus Christ is your hope. It should be reasonable. You see, if someone says to you or me, why do you hope in Jesus? Well, I don't know. I was just raised that way. Eh, bad answer. That's a feeling. You're blaming your genes, your, your family culture? We can't do that. The world is looking for one satisfied customer in Jesus Christ who will risk his or her life for that, and that person will be intrigued. God's wired us to be excited about fanatics. That's why they always put the camera on some guy, some, some guy my age, 50 years old, who paints his face to go to a football game where he has zero influence on the outcome of that game. But the cameras wants to watch that crazy guy go nuts because he loves his Kansas City Chiefs. And we think, huh, oh, that's pretty cool. No, that's not. That's ridiculous. It's like being a Cub fan for crying out loud. Hope is all we have. But the world's looking for a satisfied customer who has a reason for why you do. And here's the thing I want us to hold on to and celebrate this morning. There are reasons, church. The resurrection alone is all you need to know. No man's ever done it but him. And there were eyewitnesses, and there's evidence, and there's proof, and there's power, and we have nothing to be ashamed of. So when someone says to you, why do you believe in Jesus? Tell them. They don't have to like it. They don't even have to agree with it. Why do you like it? Why do you believe in it? Why do you hope in it? That's the answer. Christ is not honored by groundless hope. Christ is honored by people who have sat and set him apart in their hearts so that they're ready to answer why I believe. Proverbs 11.7 warns us if we don't take this seriously. When a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. It is incumbent upon us that we have a reason for the hope we're holding out to. Because if you don't have a reason, you don't have a hope. It's just wishful thinking. It's not going to pay off. So there's three questions. I'd like to do this. I don't have the right to give you homework because you wouldn't do it. So I can't test you later. So I have no authority to do this except I care about you. And I think that God would change our community if we did this. Is that bold enough? I'm going to ask you three questions. I'd like to give you 48 hours to answer these questions. Feel free to email me your answers. You don't have to. But if if you need to share it with somebody, email me. I'd love to read them. Three questions. If you don't have an outline in front of you because you don't take notes, pull out your phone, pull out your iPad, pull out your neighbor's arm, write this down. 
Number one, why do I believe in Jesus? I'd like you to answer that question. Simple question, why do I believe in Jesus? Second question, why do I count Jesus as my hope and treasure? Those are two different questions. Why am I basing my life on that? Why would I sacrifice my money and my time? Why would I say no to my pleasures? Why would I say no to certain things and yes to other things? Why would I do this? What, 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 am, I, what am I basing that hope and treasure on? And thirdly, what are the changes? Or the Bible would use the word fruit. What is the changes or evidence in my life due to my hope in Jesus? How has your hope in Jesus changed your life? This is not a shame-filled question. This is wag your tail, smile by yourself in the room, and laugh at the, the joy that God's brought to your life. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's do that. These three questions are the foundation of our hope. And if we are to be reasonable in our hope, then I I pray that you'll answer these questions. How do I do that? Search your heart. That That sounds so smarmy, honestly. But the truth is, search your heart. How do you do that? Turn off the noise. Just please, turn off the radio, turn off the phone, turn off the internet. Spend one day pondering and searching scripture, reading and thinking about your journey. Write it down so people know it. This is not a waste of your time. This is the hope of our future. Invest your heart into this because it's where you set Jesus apart is in your heart, not just in your mind. Third hope, an appealing hope. And I'll be brief with these two points. An appealing hope, verses 15 and 16. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. If I can just be direct and bold, have you ever noticed that when politicians or preachers or teachers or coaches or, or someone else, whenever they're less sure of their point, they just get louder. Because if I can't win it with reason, I'm going to scream you down. Peter tells us, don't do that. There's a, there's a gentleness and there's a serenity to people who are certain. Have you ever talked with someone about their faith and you're, you're convinced about their faith by their disposition? They are just so flat out sure that you're, you're convicted of their conviction. Paul calls it a peace that passes all understanding. Psalm 147, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. I have to be quick with this, but when I was a kid, because there were four of us boys, my dad would often take us. He'd say, boys, you're going to the store with me. He didn't ask, he told us. And what I realized was that my mom was about to kill one of us, so he got us away from her and took him away for about an hour. And it was often a Kmart or a hardware store. My dad had a rule. He was a funny guy. My dad would say, in 10 minutes, I want to meet you right here at the front of the store. And we didn't have watches. And you, my dad just expected you to know what 10 minutes felt like. Except he never could remember what 10 minutes felt like. So there were many times my three brothers and I would meet at the front of the store and we'd be waiting up by the cashier where my dad was going to meet us and he was running around getting something. And I always knew this to be true. As quickly as I can say this, My dad was hardly ever on time, but I always knew he'd show up. And he expected me to wait for him right there. And I never had one doubt that he was coming. I knew he would come. I could hear the keys on his belt jingling. He'd had a bag of hardware stuff, or he had to fix something around the house, and he had to figure out what he needed. And he would meet us at the front of the store. He'd pay for it, and he'd look at us and go, come on, boys, and we'd hop in the car. The Lord finds joy in those whose hope, listen to me, whose hope in him is not based on him meeting your schedule, but you meeting his. Can you wait on the Lord in hope, knowing he'll show up when he's there? 
And when he shows up, it'll be perfect. That's an appealing hope. That's what the world's looking for. Someone who's willing to stay through tough times. Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Lastly, it's an intense hope. And this is what most of us are feeling right now. The dilemma. Can I do this? Remember, Christianity is not about what you do, but what God does through you. Verse 13, if you are eager, the word can also be translated zealous for good. If you are eager for this, if you hold on to hope, because when we bank our hope on Christ, Jesus doesn't go to work for us. Jesus goes to work in us. It's a passion. It's a choice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's hope. It's a fearless hope. It's a powerful hope. It's a lasting hope. It's a reasonable hope. It's appealing to the world when they see us holding on to crisis and trials. And some of our lives right now are a mess. Some of us are really scared. We don't know what the future brings. Let me tell you, if you're waiting at the front of that store and he's not there yet, do you believe he'll be there when he said he would? He will be there. And he will never leave you nor abandon you or forsake you. This morning we are going to sing songs that speak of his work for us and in us. Because he's a good God who cares about us. He doesn't make us his slaves. He calls us his children. Some of you today, you have never placed real hope in Jesus. It's okay. You can. You have to set him apart in your heart. You have to see who he is and trust that. And live in that truth. And for some of us, we once had hope in Jesus, but now we've turned it in to doing things to make him happy. And that's not what he called us to be. Remember, he didn't call us to do things, he called us to be the kind of people who love him in faith and hope. So this morning, if you need to figure out what your next step of hope is and you'd like prayer and help, go to one of these tables around the room that have lamps lit. We'd love to pray with you and seek answers to these questions. This word hope changes all of our lives when we have real hope in Jesus. Let's stand together and sing.